you've got to have to have a, a certain critical mass before you can start earning profits out of there. Otherwise, up until that critical mass, you're only earning wages and often earning less than what you're paying your employees until you reach that critical mass. Listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 175 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson, and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Edward Chen is the non-executive chairman of Chen and Naylor, which expanded to now 12 offices across Australia over the past 20 years. And let me just very quickly read you the location of the offices from their website. They started in Parramatta and now also have offices in Perth, Sydney CBD and Southwest Sydney, Redlands and Brisbane, Pimble, Hawthorne, Mooney Ponds and Wheelers Hill. So that is quite an impressive cross-section across Australia. But this expansion from one office to now 12 is nothing unusual, according to Edward, but just part of a general trend of consolidation in the accounting industry. So I ask Edward for more details about this trend to consolidate. understand that you do quite a few acquisitions. Is an acquisition a new office you then set up or do you absorb an acquired company into an existing office? We do both actually, but just recently it's more about acquiring a practice into an existing office. That's what we've been doing more recently. And so that means you basically just buy a client list. So you don't bring the brand of the other practice across? No. No, we don't. And you don't bring the staff of the other practice across? Oh, no, we do. Oh, I see. We, we do, yeah. The two biggest assets of a business, obviously, they're clients, but they're staff. They're the two biggest assets of an organization. So when you do buy a firm, you absolutely have to consider bringing the staff across because they have the relationship with the clients and uh, you want to maintain that relationship. So absolutely, 100%, you want to retain all the staff if possible. How do you tell the client base that they are now with Chen and Naylor? Generally, um, there's a reason why the vendor, the person who owns the business, the vendor is doing what he's doing or she's doing, he or she's doing. And if it's a sale, you know, obviously we have to advise the client base of his or her pending retirement. Obviously, you want to do it very slowly because clients don't like change. And we found that if you change things too much, then the clients will leave. So you've got to try and do it very, very softly and slowly and over time. So that means you first run the old practice under the old name and then just slowly move things across? Yes. We announce it to the, the clients that, you know, the vendor is looking at retiring and he may take one or two years to transition out. And that's the ideal situation. And he or she will then drop their day's work from five days to four to three to two and so forth. In the meantime, we spend the next year or two introducing the clients to the new person 
until they get used to the new person. And some clients are early adopters. They'll get used to the new person, you know, on the first introduction. Then you get middle adopters. They'll need three or four or five introductions. And then you get the late adopters who might need 20 or 30 introductions. They'll keep asking for the, the old owner, you know, even up to 20 times. So you've just got to accommodate all of that. So 80% of them are generally early adopters. So, you know, you just tell them, they go, yep, no problem. And then uh, 20% of them are middle to late adopters. So you need to work harder with them. And within that 20%, a handful are, are very, very late adopters or just won't change and they might leave. And uh, that's the nature of the merge. And the reason why the clients leave is purely simply they don't like change. Some of the clients may be very loyal to the old owner, the vendor, and often they've wanted to leave anyway, but they've been very loyal to him or her. You know, in their mind's eye, they've, you know, they, they always had the intention of moving on as soon as the old owner announced his retirement or, you know, a change of some sort. So you're going to lose a certain amount anyway. And then the second wave of losses is after the new owner's taken over and the client may not like the way he or she does things. So that's the next wave of losses. But the losses are not because of the buyer buying. The losses are because the seller is selling. The, the losses is because the seller is changing the relationship between him or her and the client, and that causes the losses. And often disputes between purchasers and sellers is whether it's the seller is blaming the purchaser for losing the client, and then they get into a you know an argument about because there's retentions and so forth, you know, the argument over retention and so forth. But what causes the losses? is 90% is the vendor changing the arrangement with the client and 10% is the you know the, the new buyer's personality or the way he or she does things. But it's predominantly the change that's causing the loss. So as long as both parties understand that, that there will be some losses and then the losses are due to the vendor changing the nature of the relationship and they accept that, then you generally don't have a problem but if either party doesn't understand that up front, then there are losses and then they start a blame game. So everyone's blaming each other. So let's say you're acquiring an accounting practice today, 2019, and the old owner will stay until 2021. Yep. So the client relationship will slowly phase from the old owner to either staff that you bring across or to somebody you already have in your, in your organization. When does the office close of the old practice? Okay, so there's a couple of questions in that. There's generally different concerns or different things that you've got to address, and some are more fatal than, than others. So, for example, the, the biggest one is the vendor leaving straight away. So if the vendor stays on, then that uh, minimizes the danger. The second one is staff. If the staff are staying on, it's important that, you know, often the clients are dealing with the staff and they're used to the staff. The third one is it could be, which we haven't really found, you know, big concern, but it's the it's the name. So we often co-branded for a year. 
So there's the vendor's name and the purchaser's name on the same letterhead. So they're seeing the same, the old brand as well as the new brand and give them a year of that. And then, you know, after a year or two. So you can't buy a practice that already has three surnames. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> um, you, you just co-brand it. So you'd have the first year, you'd have the existing brand with three surnames up right up the top. So you would have Miller, Smith and Maya, Chen, Naylor. Yep. And then down the bottom, you have incorporating Chen and Naylor down the bottom. So that you can see, you can you're starting to expose that database, the, the clients to the new brand with this, which is Chan and Naylor. and then in the following year you might swap that around, or you might drop off the old name completely, because the main issues are things like location. So if you're in the same location, that helps a lot, but often that's not possible. So you've got to move the office. But if you're in the same suburb and you moved it, you know, a, a couple of kilometers away, then it has less impact. I guess they're the main things in respect to retaining the clients. How quickly do you move the client data across to your system? So let's say the old practice was an MYUB and your office is on a zero. How quickly do you move the client data across? I can imagine relatively quickly. No, very slowly, because when you buy a firm, the staff are used to, say they used to my old, and we're using zero, it's already quite traumatic for the staff when you know their employer sells the business. So you, you don't want to upset them. Uh, go in there and upset them too much because if the staff leave, then there's a chance that clients will leave as well because they're, they're your two greatest assets. You don't want to lose either of them. So you do it very slowly. So you keep the old staff using my old, but you slowly, slowly, slowly introduce zero over the next few years. So it could take two years, two, three years to get them over. And, and often you're, you're running the two systems together for quite a few years, but you dumb down the old one as you ramp up the, the new one. But it's it's done very, very slowly. But for those firms who think, who believe they can come in and just change things overnight, it's the damage is, is quite a lot. It's quite a lot. What is your average attrition if you buy a practice with 100 clients? and a million dollars of sales, what would be your average attrition? Do you look at attrition as per head or do you look at attrition as per fee volume? Fee, because when you buy, you're buying based on fee. And attrition depends on the age of the database. So if you, you know, if you bought a database that's quite, that the clients are quite old and they might have one or two years left and then they sell their businesses, And generally, when they sell the businesses, the person who buys the business generally have their own accountants. So there's very little retaining of your services if the client sells the business. So it depends on the age of the client. But the attrition, if you manage it well, it's all, it's all in how you do it, not what you do. If you do the how very, very well, it should be less than 10%. But if you don't do the how very well, then you could lose quite a lot more so in terms of normal purchase and sale, the standard thing is there is a retention to allow for these, these issues and retention uh, ranges between 20% to 40%. I see that's an earn out arrangement, correct? Correct. That's like an earn out, but we call it a retention. So if the retention is 20%, then you only pay 80% of it upfront and you pay the, the next 20% later down the track. That allows for attrition and people who were going to leave anyway, and they were just waiting for the, the vendor to make, uh, you know, to retire, and they were planning to leave anyway. 
And uh, if the retention is uh, 40%, sometimes, you know, retention is 40%. If there's a lot of, uh, it depends on the database and the age of the clients and, and so forth. So there's no right or wrong or standard thing. It, it just depends on the circumstances and the, the quality of the database and the quality of the business and, and so forth as to, you know, what level of retention is at. I heard you once saying that mid-tier firms will get larger. Yes. Can you say why? Yes, because it's, you know, once upon a time when, when you came out and you started your practice, you know, the, it was quite manageable because there weren't so many things to have to deal with. And then as the years went on, not only has tax changed. So when I came out, there was no capital gains tax to worry about or GST or, or BASIS or anything like that. It was just income tax. And then it got more and more and more complicated. And then you got, you know, more and more complication with technology in terms of, you know, the technology that people use. And then you've, the HR rules have become a lot more difficult to deal with. So trying to run a small practice today, and of course the client's expectations are much, much, much heightened than they were in the past. You know, their expectations of accountants are, you know, and that's that's gone right across society, whether, you know, whether it's teachers or doctors or lawyers, you know, the, the client is expecting a lot more. They're a lot more educated. They're a lot more sophisticated. They've, they've got access to, you know, Google. The amount of information they've got access to on their fingertips makes them, you know, a, a more demanding person. Um, so when you put all that together, it's very difficult to run a business on your own these days. And then, of course, you've got to have to have a, a certain critical mass before you can start earning profits out of there. Otherwise, up until that critical mass, you're only earning wages and often, you know, you're earning less than what you're paying your employees until you reach that critical mass. And then, of course, you know, the Property values, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, are huge in terms of the average loans that you've got to borrow to buy your home. And it makes it more difficult to have capacity left over to buy, to borrow money to buy into a practice. So when you add up all those factors, it's uh, I, I believe that the mid-tier firms have already reached that critical mass. So for them to buy a small firm like us, it's a lot easier. And for someone to start out on their own, it's not going to be as easy. So hence my, and, and that's been playing out, by the way. I, I said that 10 years ago, and I've been saying it ever since, but, you know, 10 years ago, the firms have got bigger. And, the, and as the baby boomers have been retiring, a lot of the staff have not wanted to buy them out because, you know, they took one look at their boss, who was a baby boomer, who was working, you know, 80 hours a, a week. You know, none of the millennials would want that kind of a lifestyle. You know they've opted not to not to buy in as well. So I think that the mid tiers, the bigger firms will end up getting bigger and perhaps buying the smaller ones as the baby boomers are retiring. Is it still a seller's market, or can you see it turning to a buyer's market? No, it's still a seller's market. I think it'll take quite a few years before it becomes a buyer's market. And the reason why it's turned is because the baby boomers are now retire, reaching retirement age. Unfortunately, when the GFC hit, a lot of the baby boomers had to stay in and they couldn't afford to sell when the GFC hit and they've stayed on for a few more years, but that was 10 years ago. But that's ago. 10 years now, yes. yes. 
So now we're starting to see them uh, retiring because, you know, like people are generally healthier now. They can work longer. And and when you're doing accounting work, it's not physical work. So, you know, the longevity of one's working life in, in this space is extended. And, you know, often some of the firms that we've been buying We've been buying off this 70-year-olds. You know, one particular firm was 75 years old, uh, the person himself, and he was still working at 75. But we're seeing more and more of them now. So we're starting to see a few more for sale now, but it will be a little while before it becomes a buyer's market, I think. At the moment, it's still a, it's still a seller's market. So they are the big firms anyway. Then the mid-tier firms are becoming bigger because they have the cash and the resources to buy the small firms that are retiring. And... Other young accountants alone don't have the capital anymore to buy in, into a small practice, hence the small practices go to the mid-tier firms. But or, or the larger firms. Or the larger um, firms. Yeah, the larger firms I think will get larger, uh, not just the mid-tiers, but the larger firms will buy up, will gobble up the, the little, uh, the sole practitioners and, and that. Don't you also see another trend starting in that is that accountants go out alone, don't have an office, just work remotely through the cloud and just work on their small client base? Or is that so insignificant that it's not really covering much of the market? Yeah, that's not really a business. That's more of a job because they can only handle, you know, a certain amount. And I don't think that's very significant because that person who does that will eventually, this is the cycle I went through and they'll go through the same cycle that I went through and then they'll start to struggle. And that's why, you know, WISE was born out of that person's struggle and WISE mentoring addresses those cycles and provides them the tools and the mindset and the education and the training to overcome those challenges. But without something like a wise mentoring, someone helping them, they generally will struggle because of the things that I've just said, you know, about technology and it's becoming very, very complicated and very difficult with all the different things you've got to handle. They will struggle if they don't get help. I just wanted to say that I don't think Compliance is dying. That's generally another bit of rhetoric that people have been putting out there. And when you scratch the surface, you'll find that there's generally, for those people who are saying that, there's generally a, a vested interest. You know, they're trying to sell some software to you or do some coaching to accounting firms or something. But, you know, as long as a country needs to pay tax, you always need tax accountants and you always need compliance. You know, our immigration Policy is quite healthy. There's over 200,000 people a year that come into this country and 70% of them are skilled migrants and they get a job and they need to prepare a tax return, lodge a tax return. 10% of them start businesses, small businesses, and you know and they'll need accountants to do their work for them. Um, but I think the technology with artificial intelligence and so forth It's going to make it faster and more efficient. But that's been happening. That's more evolution than revolution. The revolutions already occurred when we got uh, desktop computers and desktop software. So the revolutions already occurred. This is more evolution. And yes, it will mean that we will be more efficient and there's less time spent producing the work. But accounting firms will be fine. Because as their overheads reduce and efficiencies goes up, they'll still be making a margin. I thought I'd just leave you with that thought. 
welcome back. So buyers are still operating in a seller's market when it comes to buying an accounting practice. But it is not new practitioners buying into the market, but established medium and big size practices buying the little ones. In the next episode, episode 176, Edward Chen will share his insights as a mentor for accountants. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.